0: amen amen it is a good day to be in worship i haven't changed that fast since i was late for formation at vmi so that was uh, that was ex- it's a good day right it's a great day had two people walk through baptism which is great it's great for tate and jack and i'm so proud of them it's great for our church community and so it's a big day for the well for our first uh baptisms in here so that's amazing so, as Noel mentioned, this is the last week of our sermon series, Faithful, where we've been looking at different aspects of Christian faith, what faith looks like in theory and in action and in practice. And The scripture text this morning is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and this is what Paul has to, this, has to say to the church at Corinth, and this is what Paul has to say to us in this church. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through, through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing Him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So before we dig into this amazingly rich passage, let's pray together. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you alone are the word. And you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak to us today, Lord. Speak to us as we're gathered here today. And speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray this in the mighty and victorious name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Now, this passage from Paul talks about a parade of sorts. So I think it's probably important for me to tell you that I was in a parade once. Mm -hmm. It was the world-famous Apple Blossom Festival Parade in Winchester, Virginia. There you go, Jimmy. Shout out. And uh, Now, you've probably had the DVD at home, but you may not have looked at it in a while. So just so I can refresh your recollection... Let's take a look. That's your boy right there in the blue coat, right? Just to be clear, that wasn't a special throwback, bicentennial, colonial era haircut. That was my regular, everyday, awesome atomic bowl cut. Oh, the glory of it all. So aside from the haircut, being in the parade was a really cool experience. They took great care of us. And as my float rolled down the streets of my hometown, people would, who knew me would yell out, hey, Tom, and they'd wave and they'd smile. And people who didn't know me would smile and wave and clap. And so it was one big day of cheering and applause and affirmation. And for an Enneagram 7, that was heaven. That was heaven, man. So in today's scripture passage, it might sound like the Apostle Paul is thanking God that his life of following Jesus is a victory parade, kind of like that. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's great for Paul, but my life is nothing like that. Or his statement can have a tinge of arrogance or almost triumphalism, as if to say, that as long as you're on Team Jesus, your life is going to be one long parade of smiles and cheers and applause. But Paul is saying something very different here, because he's talking about a very different kind of parade. You see, Paul's life was anything but easy, most of you know that. On his missionary journeys, he was spiritually stalked and often physically beaten. And in the culture, he was opposed at almost every turn by Romans and Jews. And in the church, Paul was targeted by false teachers and harassed by agents of division. And in the church at Corinth specifically, and this was a church that Paul had planted, those false teachers and agents of division had been hard at work. And as a result, the community that he helped build, the congregation that he desperately loved, and many of them are now questioning Paul's teaching and questioning Paul's character. What started off so well seems to be going so bad. So Paul writes this letter of 2 Corinthians to the church, his church with a heart that's heavy with hurt and concern. He wants to be reconciled to these people that he so dearly loves. And given the circumstances, he must have been battling a profound sense of failure. And he is no doubt writing under a cloud, a dark cloud of fear and anxiousness and pressure. And given what, what we've all been through, In the past year and a half, I think we can understand that because we're all feeling that kind of cloudy right now. And so when you consider all of this, it's even more remarkable that from the midst of that kind of dark shadow, Paul would bust forth with a statement that says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. What's Paul talking about? Where's the triumph? How can Paul give thanks in the grip of toil? How can he declare victory from the depths of doubt? And exactly what kind of Thanksgiving parade is Paul talking about anyway? Well, Paul has in mind. A Roman triumphal procession, something that the people of Corinth, the Roman city of Corinth, would know very well. You see, after an important military victory, a conquering Roman general would be given the highest honor of a military parade through the cheering streets of Rome. It was basically an ancient ticker tape parade. And the victorious general would ride in this enormous chariot that was pulled by four white horses, and he would be preceded by temple priests swinging pots of fragrant incense to fill the air with the scent of victory. And before him would be driven a long line of defeated leaders and warriors, the once proud enemies of Rome. Who were now publicly displayed as prisoners and slaves. And ultimately, many of those captives and slaves would be led into the temple of Jupiter and offered as sacrifice or sent into the Colosseum to die in the games. And all of this, this enormous spectacle, was to proclaim the power of the emperor and the glory of the empire. But Paul takes this familiar cultural image and he flips it on its head. And in doing so, Paul doesn't portray himself as the conquering general. No, that role is left to Christ. But rather, Paul portrays himself as the conquered slave. You see, Paul never forgot that he was once an enemy of Christ, a persecutor of the church. And on the road to Damascus, where he was going to seize Christians and arrest them and force them into prison, the resurrected Christ confronted Paul and defeated him. But Christ defeated Paul with grace rather than force, He mastered him with mercy rather than might. Paul was conquered by Christ's love and taken captive by Christ's compassion. And indeed, after that encounter, Paul's favorite title for himself in all of his letters is Paul, a slave to Christ. Now, our sensibilities are so shaped by our times and the ways of our world that we struggle to make sense of many of these statements. And moreover, this doesn't sound like the victorious Christian life that many of us were promised, and it certainly doesn't sound like the victorious Christian life that many of us are hoping for. But as Pastor David Strain puts it, so many people in the church have a view of the victorious Christian life that really takes its cue from Disneyland and not the Bible. Because there's a ride at Disneyland called Pirates of the Caribbean. You ever been there? You ever been on it? So you get on this boat and you go through a dark tunnel and then you're confronted by all these strange enemies that lunge at you from the darkness they're wielding giant swords or brandishing huge pistols. And cannonballs are fired in all directions and they're splashing in the water around you. But because it's Disneyland, you can sit back and enjoy the ride. Because you know that none of it's real. And you're never going to get hurt. And that version of the victorious Christian life presents Christians as somehow untouchable where we wield the power of God according to our desires. And we wield it confidently and triumphantly so that we shrug off all challenges and bust through all obstacles and avoid any kind of danger. But if that is the victorious Christian life, then Paul didn't know anything about it. Because Paul went from real battle to real battle experiencing real disappointment and real setbacks and real pain, Paul knew something about the victorious Christian life that very often it doesn't feel, well, very victorious. For Paul, the triumphal procession of Christ is nothing like Disneyland and it's nothing like Rome because in this parade that Jesus leads, It's not about being successful. It's about being faithful. And in this parade, we're called to suffering rather than comfort, and service rather than supremacy. We humble ourselves rather than than honoring ourselves, and we are publicly shown to be weak to showcase the strength of Christ And as we follow Jesus in this procession, we understand that Jesus wields the power. Jesus does the saving, and he does it through my submission. And then there is this promise that if I'm willing to die to myself for the sake of the gospel, God will work through my dying to bring life to me and others. And that's why, through all of his trials, Paul is inexplicably able to give thanks and rejoice because he knows, he knows that in this Jesus parade, his weakness is not going to be wasted. And his pain, it isn't pointless. And contrary to the way it appears, his suffering and submission don't suggest some sort of failure. Instead, they are the very means by which God is going to display the majesty of King Jesus and the glory of the kingdom of God. Paul knew very well from experience, and most of us know from experience, that the way of Jesus is still very much opposed. And this just in, following Jesus, is still hard. And there are days of frustration and seeming failure Days that taste very much like defeat. But Paul's grateful faith enables him to see into the present darkness, to see moments of victory, like this moment when people walk through the waters of baptism to experience new life in Christ. People are healed by the power of Christ and given freedom from hurts and habits and hang-ups that have dominated half their lives. Paul's grateful faith enables him to see through the present darkness into the ultimate victory of Christ. And Paul knows that whatever parade that you're a part of, and we're all part of some parade, that parade is taking you somewhere. Caesar's parade, the parade of the world, it looks like the high life, it looks like the good life, but Paul says that is the parade that leads to death. But this Jesus parade, the one that looks so much like dying and submission and failure, that's the parade that actually leads to life. And according to Paul, when we grasp these realities, when we embody them and express them, something amazing happens. We become the, the aroma of Christ. Doesn't that sound awesome? Dude, if that was a cologne, I would definitely buy that. Well, what exactly is that? Now, the word that Paul uses here is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to reference burnt animal sacrifices. So, for example, in Genesis 8, when God has brought Noah through the flood and Noah's getting out of the ark, as an act of gratitude, he offers a burnt animal sacrifice, a thanksgiving sacrifice to God. And Scripture says, that the smell that went up from that sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord. The book of Leviticus has 16 references to burnt animal sacrifices where we are told that the smell that rises up was pleasing to the Lord. Indeed, Paul's memory is probably full of that smell, that smell of animal sacrifices coming from the temple in Jerusalem, thanksgiving offerings that were meant to be pleasing to the Lord. And you know that smell, and you probably like that smell too. That's the smell of grilling out. That's the smell of a barbecue. That's what it is. Now, recent research at Harvard confirms the strong connection between certain smells and how they're linked to memory and emotion. That a particular scent can almost make you feel and experience a past event. So for me, that grilling out smell takes me back to summer days when I grew up in Winchester. And on many of those days, I would be playing tennis in the high school tennis courts that were just through my backyard. A lot of times I'd be playing with Jimmy Cook, who sits right out there. And even though I was on those tennis courts, I could hear, I could smell, I could smell the hamburgers that my dad was cooking in the driveway. And I'd want to play right up until we had to go back for dinner. And when dinner was ready, my dad, he would just stand in the driveway. And he would yell out, Tombo! Dinner's ready. Come on home. And we would gather up our stuff and run off the court and run through the backyard. Right onto the screen porch. And we'd eat dinner together. And to this day, when I smell those aromas just right, I half expect to hear my dad call out, Dinner's ready, come on home. It's a powerful smell, a pleasing aroma that reminds me of home and family. And according to Paul, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, we can actually remind God of the sacrifice. Of Christ we become the aroma of Christ as we carry the good the good news of the gospel to a lost world we are the aroma of Christ when we offer the healing of Jesus to others we are the aroma of Christ when we make sacrifices of our power to help the powerless we are the aroma of Christ when we intercede for others in prayer, when we make hard choices to put others ahead of ourselves, when we work for justice and peace in the name of Jesus, when we give rather than hoard, and when we risk rather than protect, and we reach out in faith rather than shrinking back in fear, we are the aroma of Christ. Paul sums this up so well in Ephesians 5 when he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved loved us and gave himself up for us. And here it is, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. By the grace of Christ, Filled with the love of Christ, we can become the aroma of Christ. So let me ask you, have you ever smelled the aroma of Christ on another person? Have you ever met somebody who changes the atmosphere in a room just by walking in? There's a guy I used to work with, and the only way I can describe it is he just simply smelled like Jesus. I mean, everyone knew he was a Christian. He wasn't shy about it, but he wasn't pushy about it. But this guy was practically famous at our company because he wrote handwritten birthday cards to every single person in the home office every year. All 400 of them. He was so generous and so gentle and so kind and so loving that whenever people came to a meeting that he was in, He changed the whole dynamic and people became better versions of themselves. And he was just actually a low-level manager, but he had impact on folks that were way above him on the corporate ladder. Senior vice presidents and corporate officers would come to meetings and they would become more humble because he was humble. Difficult people became more peaceful because he was peaceful rude people became kinder because he was kind impatient people became more patient because he was patient and some people in that company came into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of his gracious and winsome witness he did that from the bottom of the corporate ladder because he was the aroma of Christ. This is the kind of person Jesus is calling all of us to be. And this is the kind of victorious Christian life that Paul is inviting us to walk in. And you may hear that and say, my goodness, that sounds so daunting and so difficult. And maybe that's why Paul ends up this passage by saying, who is sufficient? these things? The answer, of course, is none of us. None of us are sufficient to do this on our own. Because without Christ, there is no parade. And without Christ, there is no victory. But the resurrected Christ is alive and walking among us. And He is calling us by His Spirit to follow Him into this different kind of Thanksgiving parade. And that parade starts here. It starts in the baptismal pool where we take our first steps in that walk of newness of life with Christ, where we die to our old lives, where we leave that other parade and join this parade, the one that Paul is talking about. And if we will offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, Christ will do something Amazing through us, out of the midst of our sacrificial lives, a pleasing and compelling aroma will go forth, a scent that will cause people to acknowledge a heavenly ache that they almost forgot. And with their spirit full of that sweet aroma, they might just be able to hear their heavenly Father, call out to them. Dinner's ready. Come on home. Can you hear it? Can you smell it? Be the aroma of Christ. Amen.